I'm Kendall, I'm our executive pastor, and I get the privilege of sharing with you today. And I want to start with a story because we're focusing on the topic of hospitality today. And I'm a hospitality person. Any hospitality people out there? My mom taught me to be a hospitality person. She runs big events for charity, hosting people well. My dad is actually famous worldwide. They're probably watching right now, by the way. Uh, My dad is famous worldwide for his saying, there are party goers and party throwers. So he taught me to be a party thrower. And that's, that's how I was raised. And you know, because of the work I do here, helping host people for church and helping other churches, it's very interesting to me how people train their staff and create environments of, of just to host people well. And I, I recently went on a trip where I experienced super hosting. Like, I experienced just being hosted so well. And I'd love to tell you about it. We, we flew to Sacramento, and then we got in a car and had to drive for a couple hours. So we were tired, just me and, a, me and a couple guys getting two nights away for R&R in the mountains. And we arrived at our host's house. And the first thing I noticed when we arrived is our host was actually outside waiting for us. And he's a very busy man. He could have been doing a lot of different things. But he actually scheduled his day so he could be with us when we arrived. And then we went inside to his kitchen, and I learned that he had hand-prepared a meal for us. And this is a successful guy. He could have Uber Eats. He could have said, get your food, get your own food on the way. He didn't have to serve us anything. But he wanted to hand-prepare us a meal. So we walk in after a couple hours road trip, and there's handmade tortillas, there's homemade salsa, there's carne asada. I mean, this is the good stuff, right? And we sat down, had a wonderful time of just eating together and catching up. And then he said, well, hey, I want to give you a tour of my house. And so we went on a tour of his house together, like any good host does. And he was telling us different interesting things about his family. And then he took us a tour on his 35-acre property. And his son-in-law came and drove us around in a little truck and, and talked about the trees over here. And the tank over here was telling us everything that was going on in his property. It was just interesting to, to learn about their world and and be in their space. And then he said, well, what are you guys doing up here? What are you doing the next couple of days during your, your little adventure? So we told him what we were up to. And he said, now, now what are you eating for dinner tonight? Like, I, I don't know. You know, we were just going to look up something on Yelp like anybody does. He goes, no, 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 no. That's not going to work. You're going to need to go to this restaurant. We're like, okay, great. But, but it's hard to get in. So you need to tell them that, that I told you to come. And we're like, okay, great. And, says, and by the way, when you're there, order the beef stroganoff. We're like, oh, great. So he's actually like walking through our whole trip, wanting us to have a wonderful experience. And we did. We had a wonderful experience of R&R. And all the elements of good hospitality were there. So there was food, uh, just a warm welcome, cleanliness. That's important for hospitality, by the way. Um, didn't learn that until I was married. Thoughtfulness, preparation atmosphere, all those things are important for hospitality. And for me, it really contrasts with a recent experience I had where I wasn't hosted well. I'm seeing thought bubbles go up around the tent. You're thinking of similar experiences you've had. I think here, here, I had a meeting in another city with a leader. And so I had to drive for a couple hours to this meeting. Now, the day before, because I didn't want to waste my time, I emailed him, confirmed the meeting, so, so I drive a couple hours to this meeting, and I get, I get to a restaurant in a city I'm not used to being in, in a part of town I'm not used to being in. And I'm waiting at this restaurant, you know, five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes. The guy's not there. So I'm like, well, I better send him a text. So I shoot him a text. Hey, what's up? I'm here at the place. He sends me back a text. I never do this. I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> he forgot the meeting. 
So he says, well, wait there. I'll be right there. I, I still want to grab lunch with you. I'm like, okay, great. It's an important meeting. Of course, I'll wait. 40 minutes later, you know, he arrives. And so when he walks in, I've been waiting in the lobby of this restaurant for, for about an hour. And I was extremely uncomfortable because this place had a special dress code that he didn't inform me about. And so the whole time, I, I just feel... I feel like inappropriately dressed, and I'm, I'm just waiting for him. I just kind of don't know what's going on. So, great. We're having the meeting. It's going to be a great meeting. And so we go to the restaurant to continue our meeting, and I'm like, you know, we're going to press through and get some traction here. So I'm asking him questions. I'm trying to get to know this leader. And he says, you know, we're, we're talking. And then I noticed during the conversation, maybe this has happened to you before, his eyes are just darting around, you know, the, the restaurant. It's like he's looking for a leprechaun and a pot of gold or something. He cannot focus on me. And, and he's just looking around the whole, he's not even paying attention to me. I'm like, oh my gosh. You know, so I'm pressing through with this guy. We finished the meeting. It's over. It went okay. I get back in the car and I'm driving the couple hours drive back to San Diego on the 5 South on Friday afternoon. Somebody said, uh-oh, in the back. I'm going to reach you guys in the back with this story. I know I am. Okay. I want, I want to say hi to you back there. Okay. Glad you're here. So, so I'm driving back on the five, and something happened to my car that's never happened before. Smoke started to come out of the air conditioning system. And those of you that know about cars know what happened to me. My car cracked its radiator. So here I am, I'm driving my Honda Pilot on the five, and I'm on the phone with my wife. My cell phone's at 8%, naturally. And, and I just stop in the center lane because my car won't move. You know, dozens of cars are piling up behind me. People are giving me all kinds of blessings as they drive by. And I'm just in this burning hot car. Like, I'm literally like, you know, so it's about 90 degrees. I roll down the window. I have a little coolant in the back. I get it all set up. And I notice there's a Honda dealership at the exit. So I'm like, great, somebody to host me, right? I drive a Honda. This is a Honda. You're a Honda dealership. Surely they'll help me. So I pull up to the Honda dealership, very slowly, by the way, and it's 4.50 on a Friday. And so I walk in, the serviceman comes out, he says, how can I help you? He says, well, well, you close at 5, right? He's like, yes, we close at 5. Like, well, we've got 10 minutes. You, you can help me with my car. And he's like, no, we can't help you. We close at 5. Like, but it's 4.50. <laughs> like, no, 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 no. I don't think you understand. We close at 5. We can't help you. I'm like, yeah, but I just need like a little help. You know, I'm just trying to get back to San Diego. He's like, hey, I'll do you a favor. I'll keep your car for the weekend and you can stay here in a hotel and I'll fix it Monday morning. And I'm like, that's not a favor. Like, I need to get back to, I've got four kids, dude. Like, this isn't going to work, you know? And, and so we're going back and forth and, you know, a, a very friendly mechanic comes around the corner, kind of gives me some coolant on the side and encourages me to drive back to San Diego. So I'm, I'm at the Honda dealership for a bit and I got to enjoy the eight-hour and a half hour drive back to San Diego from the Los Angeles area because I was driving 15 miles an hour. So if your radiator ever cracks, this is what you do. You actually roll down all the windows and you turn on the heater. That gets the heat out of the engine. And so while I'm driving, it's 90 degrees, smoke is coming into my car from the engine. I'm driving 15 miles an hour on the highway and I'm stopping every other exit to let the engine rest. And I can tell you one place that's hospitable, Chick-fil-A. Because I know every Chick-fil-A in L.A. County, Orange County, and San Diego County. Because I have stopped there with my car and used the bathroom and refilled my drink in my eight-and-a-half-hour journey. Thank God for Chick-fil-A. But besides Chick-fil-A, 
that was not a day where I was hosted very well. Kind of synonymous with hosting hospitality is the Ritz-Carlton, right? Uh, Herb Bayard, who attends this church, taught me this this phrase the Ritz-Carlton uses. The Ritz-Carlton experience enlivens the senses, instills well-being, and fulfills even the unexpressed wishes and needs of our guests. That's hospitality. Today, I want to speak to you from a story in the life of Abraham surrounding hospitality. You can turn to Genesis 18, and I want to speak to you and look at this story a little bit different way because I want to speak to you from the subject, who is hosting who? Who is hosting to you? You ready? You ready to dive into the life of Abraham? I've loved this blessing series. Let's just pray. Close our eyes. Put our hand on our heart as we pray, as we open up God's word. God, we pray that you'd reveal your word to us in a fresh and unique way today. Lord, we pray you'd speak to us, and every person here would leave with a word from you. In Jesus' name, amen. Who is hosting who? Genesis 18. We're going to read in the New Living Translation. It's going to be right up here. Okay. The Lord appeared to Abraham near the oak grove belonging to Mamre. One day, Abraham was sitting at the entrance to his tent during the hottest part of the day. Sounds like my drive back to San Diego. He looked up and noticed three men standing nearby. When he saw them, he ran to meet them, and he welcomed them, bowing low to the ground. My Lord, if it pleases you, stop here for a while. Rest in the shade of this tree while water is brought to wash your feet. And since you've honored your servant with this visit, let me prepare some food to refresh you before you continue on your journey. All right, they said, do as you have said. Abraham would have been a great Chick-fil-A or Ritz-Carlton employee. So Abraham ran back to the tent, and he said to Sarah, hurry, get three large measures of your best flour, knead it into dough, bake some bread. Then Abraham ran to the herd and chose a tender calf and gave it to his servant who quickly prepared it. When the food was ready, Abraham took some yogurt and milk and the roasted meat, and he served it to the men. As they ate, Abraham waited on them in the shade of the trees. Where is Sarah, your wife? The visitors asked. She's inside the tent, Abraham replied. Then one of them said, I will return to you about this time next year, and your wife Sarah will have a son. Interesting news from a visitor. Sarah was listening to this conversation from the tent. Abraham and Sarah were both very old, and Sarah was long past the age of having children. She laughed silently to herself and said, how could a worn-out woman like me enjoy such pleasure, especially when my master, my husband, is also so old? Then the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh? Why did she say, can an old woman like me have a baby? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return about this time next year, and Sarah will have a son. Sarah was afraid, so she denied it, saying, I didn't laugh. But the Lord said, no, you did laugh. That's another message. (laughs) Then the men got up from their meal and looked out towards Sodom. As they left, Abraham went with them and sent them on their way. There's a couple things we're going to look at in this passage. First, we're going to look at this meeting between Abraham and these guests. Next, we're going to look at the man, Abraham. Then we're going to look at the meal Abraham shares with these guests. And then a hidden message for us today as God's people. So just some context. We're in a series on the life of Abraham. Abraham is on this journey to find God's promised land. So he's traveling, he's, he's following God, and then he has this encounter with these three spiritual beings. And in Genesis 18, we have this key verse, verse 1. It says this, The Lord appeared again to Abraham near the oak grove belonging to Mamre. So we have some clues here about this meeting between Abraham and these guests. So the passage starts with this amazing statement. The Lord appeared. We're about to go real deep into the Bible, so I hope you're ready. The Lord appeared. This passage of Scripture actually begins seven weeks in the Jewish calendar. So seven weeks in a row, they read in their Sabbath worship, 
they read different appearances of Abraham. They, they read it out loud, different appearances of the Lord to Abraham, and it's called Vayera. So this begins a seven-week cycle. And there's a lot of questions about this in the Jewish faith. They're like, how, how did God appear to Abraham? Was it a vision of God? Was it an angel? Was it just a really important person that he calls the Lord? And there's all kinds of ancient interpretations of this passage, but I'm so thankful because we have the new covenant, right? We have the New Testament to interpret this passage and know what's going on. And, and as the story goes on, we get some clues about this appearance. So here's our first clue. The, the guests actually know some things they shouldn't know. They have some divine revelation. Genesis 18, verse 13, the Lord said, why did Sarah laugh? So they have this, they have this idea about what's going on with, with Sarah. And then later in that verse, they give this divine promise. They say, we're going to come back next year, and you're going to have a son. Like, wow, that's a very interesting thing for a guest to say at your house. Genesis 18, 22, the, these other two men, in the end of the passage, they turn towards Sodom. In Genesis 19, we have the two angels. They go to Sodom and Gomorrah. That's what that's preparing for. But it says, the Lord remains with Abraham. So the question is, who did Abraham meet? How did the Lord appear to Abraham? Because if you're familiar with the Bible, the Bible says this, no one has ever seen God. So how did Abraham have this experience? This is what I want to offer to you today. The meeting is with Jesus. Abraham's meeting is with Jesus. Jesus says this in John chapter 6, no one has ever seen the Father, John 6, 46. So even Jesus is saying, hey, no one has ever seen God in all his fullness. Okay, so Jesus said that must be true. John 1, 14, Jesus says this, I have come from the Father. So no one has ever seen the Father, but then Jesus says, I have come from the Father. Okay, then we have John 14, verse 19. Jesus said this, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. So how did Abraham see the Father? He saw the Father through Jesus. This is actually what Bible scholars call a Christophany, an appearance of Christ in the Old Testament, an appearance of Jesus. And if you ever spend some time studying the Bible, you're going to see this throughout the Old Testament. You're going to see these divine experiences where it seems like people are getting glimmers of Jesus. And this is why I love this, because it teaches us something that maybe we, we, we have a hard time believing as Christians. You, sometimes we think, okay, the Old Testament, that's for the people of Israel. That's the law. Okay, the New Testament, that's for us today. That's actually not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches is that the old and the new all point us to Jesus. And so the whole Bible is about Jesus. Listen, I know you start your, your Bible in one year and you like Genesis because it's familiar. Then you get to Exodus because there's a good movie, right? And then you kind of persevere through Deuteronomy. There's some good promises in there. And then you get lost at Leviticus. It happens to all of us. But, but there's these appearances of Jesus throughout the Old Testament. And you're going to see why this matters in a minute. Another thing, it says the Lord appeared to Abraham. The, the Hebrew word for that appeared. I'm not going to try to pronounce it, but it says the Lord appeared, and that word appeared means to be revealed or seen. So the, the, the connotation there is that the Lord was already there, and he opened Abraham's eyes to see him. Remember who's hosting who? 
So Abram has this meeting with Jesus, and it says, the Lord appeared to Abraham. Okay, and, and God drives in the point further with the name of this tree. The tree is called the Oak of Mamre. Mamre is made of three Hebrew letters, but one of those letters is the same word, to see or reveal. So the Lord opened Abraham's eyes to reveal himself to Abraham at the place that the Lord wanted to reveal himself to Abraham. God's making a point here. So here's how I've always thought about this story. Abraham has a nice place to stay. He finds a good tree. God appears and visits Abraham. Abraham hosts God well, so God blesses Abraham. But you know what? That's kind of the Sunday school version. And I think there might be more going on here between this meeting between Jesus and Abraham. Remember, who's hosting who? So let's talk about Abraham. Let's talk about the man, Abraham, and why this is so significant for us today. Because we have to remember where we are in the Bible. So the Bible, as you know, is structured in the Old and the New Testament, right? And in the people of Israel, throughout the Old Testament, God is revealing himself through his law. He's revealing himself through perfection, and there's certain standards that God puts in place. And then the New Testament is about the revelation of Jesus, starts with the Christmas story, and then it moves on from there. Okay, but there's this section of Genesis, the lives of the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and jo I told you we were going deep, okay? So Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. There's this section of Genesis where God is working before he reveals the law. Because the law was through Moses. Even Jesus said that in John chapter 1. The law is through Moses. Grace and truth comes through Jesus Christ. Okay, and so, so there's this section of the Bible that we have to take another look at. Because the New Testament actually teaches us that Abraham is the prototype for the life of faith. It's Genesis 15. We see it. We see it right here in the life of Abraham. The man Abraham is prototype. Genesis chapter 15, verse 6, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. It doesn't say Abraham set up his tent right and made a sacrifice, and it was credited to him as, as righteousness. It, it was actually God's work. It was salvation. Abraham was, was looking ahead towards Jesus to salvation by grace. So Abraham in this story, he represents us. He represents the people of God that are on a journey of faith and trusting in Jesus for salvation. Are you tracking with me so far? So the meeting between Abraham and Jesus, we have the man, Abraham, who represents us. He's the prototype of the new covenant. Now, let's talk about the meal, Okay. This meal between Jesus and Abraham and these two other visitors. Here's what you have to know about the Bible. The Bible doesn't waste any words. So whenever God details something in the Bible, like this number of cubits of the tabernacle, or, you know, Jesus had this particular meal at this time with these people, there's always more that God's wanting to reveal. This is like a scavenger hunt. There's just hidden meaning in there for us as God's people. And so Abraham has this meal with Jesus as Jesus appears to him. And here's the context of the meal. Abraham has just been circumcised. Genesis 17. That's not a good time to have a house guest. Right? That's an inconvenient time to have someone show up at your house. That's a time where you're needed healing. Okay? 
And, and what I love about this story is when you go look at the Jewish commentary from ancient Judaism, because this is what they teach. They teach the Lord appeared, and he was accompanied by two angels. One of those angels was named Raphael, the angel of healing. And so Abraham, you can believe that or not, but there's this, that's the context here. He actually needs healing. He has this need. And then, he, and then somehow after these angels visit, if you remember the passage, he's running around all over the place. He's, he's you know, slaughtering cows. He's doing all kinds of things. Somehow he bounced back pretty quick. I believe the Lord healed him. So Abraham has this need for healing. And then the Lord appears at this tree. The tree is called Mamre, okay? Mamre is made of three Hebrew words. We visited this before. The three words are this. The three words are this. Bitterness, revelation, and well-fed. Bitterness, revelation, and abundance. Through the bitterness of the cross, we have received a revelation of abundant life. Remember, remember, the New Testament looks back at and says, cursed is anyone who dies on a tree. It ties the tree to the cross. And, and there's this metaphor that God is starting to construct for us. He's showing, yeah, I appeared to Abraham. I appeared to him at the bitter tree, but I appeared to give him a revelation of the abundant life. Wow. Okay. So there's something going on here for us today. And, and then there's this meal. Okay. What is it about this meal? Why does the Bible go to such great lengths to describe this meal? Well, the meal. Remember, there was bread. Bread was broken, fresh bread. Tender calf was, was slain. And then there's yogurt and milk. There's a couple reasons this meal is significant, but here's one. This is actually a non-kosher meal. And so Abraham, the, the prototype of the new covenant, before the law is given to the Jewish people, is eating a meal that is prohibited by the law. Okay, Exodus 23, 19. The best of the first fruits of your ground you shall bring into the house of the Lord. You shall not boil a young goat in its mother's milk. And so in the, in the Old Testament law, the people of God were taught to always eat dairy and meat separately. That's why today many Jewish people have kosher kitchens where they have a, we have a dairy kitchen and a meat kitchen. And so God's revealing himself in a certain way through this meal. How is God revealing himself? Well, you have to know a little bit about this goat mother's milk thing. I know it's kind of weird, but just follow me. Because in the land of Canaan, the promised land where Abraham was going, there was a sacrifice that the pagan people would make to their gods. And the sacrifice was boiling a young goat in its mother's milk. Where would they make that sacrifice? They would make that sacrifice at a sacred tree. Okay, so just track with me here, okay? This sacrifice foreshadows the sacrifice that Christ makes for us on a tree. <laughs> There's something for us in this meal. What's the, the, this meal just foreshadows our salvation in Christ, so, so what is the result of the meal? Is there, you know, first of all, we said Abraham was healed. And I love how Abraham responds to his healing. He responds by wanting to host God. He responds, that's, I mean, that's the only way to respond to Jesus, right? Oh, God, I just want to serve you. I just want to worship you. And it reminds me of this story. I was leading a mission trip to Lebanon, and I was doing, and I did the thing that a mission trip leader should never do. 
the most knucklehead mistake that you could ever make as a mission trip leader, especially a trip to the Middle East, which was this, I got the date of our flights wrong. I know you all have a lot of confidence in my leadership. I could pass the blame to someone else, but I'll just take it right now because I'm on live stream. So um, I got the date of our flights wrong. And so through a lot of money and grace from other people, we were able to move our flights a day out. But it was very stressful. I definitely earned this little gray stripe right here that day. And, you know, it was just very challenging. So anyway, that night we're having dinner. It's kind of a free day. We have nothing planned. And our team is out in the street in Lebanon. And there's a flower vendor that they've been praying for the whole trip, this two-week trip. And, and sadly, he only had one op- arm that he could use for his work. He just had a limp arm. And that night they prayed for him in the street in the middle of praying for him, his arm to shut up in the middle of the prayer. And I mean, he started moving it and God restored his arm. It was absolutely amazing. They did this big Arab dance in the street singing. It was awesome. But I loved what this, this flower vendor said. He said, tonight I'm going to go home and I'm going to serve my family and I'm going to offer them my food with this hand. And I'm going to see if they notice my healing. That's our response to the gospel, right? Like, oh, God, we just want to host you. We, we just want to serve you. And, and, and then God provides for Abraham. Like, Abraham thinks he's providing for God, right? Remember who's hosting who? Like, but Abraham was going to eat lunch anyway. Right? Okay. But then God says, hey, I'm going to come back this time next year. You're going to have an heir. He actually gives him a laughable promise. He speaks to Abraham. We're going to see this a little... In a second, in Genesis 18, he speaks to Abraham. He says, should I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? I love how the amplified version says, it says, should I hide from my friend and servant Abraham what I'm about to do? So God starts speaking to him about what he's doing in the earth. And then Abraham, he actually, he steps in, he starts interceding. And, and then God promises salvation to the people of Sodom and Gomorrah. If there's only 10 righteous people, and we'll get there in a minute. But here's one point I want to make is this. Everything we need is in the presence of God. Everything we need is in the presence of God. The ultimate sacrifice has been made on a tree so that we don't just host God, but we actually become his habitation. That God, God, God puts his spirit in us. And as much as we are hosting him, he is hosting us because he is the ultimate host. Psalm 24, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Colossians 1, in him all things hold together. Like he's the one running this whole operation. And, and we live under his protection. And you might not know this, but he actually organized your arrival onto earth at a specific time, at a specific place. And, and the Bible actually talks about psalms of ascent. You read the psalms, it's not about all God coming down here. It's about us going up there and, and being hosted in his presence as much as we are being trying to host his presence in our lives. Who is hosting who? So there's this message for us in this story. Abraham most certainly hosts the Lord But I want to look at how Abraham interacts with the Lord for the rest of this passage, because there's some real significance for us today as new covenant believers. Genesis 18, then the men got up from their meal and looked out towards Sodom. As they left, Abraham went with them to send them out on their way. Should I hide my plan from Abraham, the Lord asked? For Abraham will certainly become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of earth will be blessed through him. I have singled him out 
So he will direct his sons and their families to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just. Then I will do for Abraham all that I have promised. So the Lord told Abraham, I've heard a great outcry from Sodom and Gomorrah because their sin is so flagrant. I'm going down to see if their actions are as wicked as I have heard. If not, I want to know. The other men turned and headed towards Sodom, but the Lord remained with Abraham. Abraham approached him and said, will you sweep away both the righteous and the wicked? Suppose you find 50 righteous people there in the city. Will you still sweep it away and not spare it for their sake? Surely you wouldn't do such a thing, destroying the righteous along with the wicked. Why would you be treating the righteous and the wicked exactly the same? Surely you wouldn't do that. Should not the judge of all the earth do what is right? And the Lord replies, if I find 50 righteous people in Sodom, I will spare the entire city for their sake. And those of you that know the story, Abraham kind of starts whittling down God. So, you know, they start at 50 people, and then they go to 45 people, and then they go to 40. It sounds, sounds like my kids with how much screen time they can have. They start at five minutes, and they go to 10 minutes. I'm joking. But, but Abraham, he, they, he starts actually whittling down God, you know. And then at, at the end of the story, this is what we see in verse 32. Finally, Abraham said, Lord, please don't be angry with me if I speak one more time. Suppose only 10 righteous people are found there. And the Lord replies, then I will not destroy it for the sake of the 10. Verse 33, when the Lord had finished his conversation with Abraham, he went on his way, and Abraham returned to his tent. We see something happening here that is very unique in this scripture. Because yes, Abraham is hosting God, but, then, but, but, but as God and Abraham interact, Abraham actually influences God. And so, so under the Old Testament, under the legal system of the Old Testament, this is how God worked. God was a God of visitation. And so he would visit certain places, certain people, certain times. And so this is what we see all over the Old Testament, right? His glory would arrive and depart from the temple. Are you tracking with me? You've seen that in the Old Testament, right? People are always trying to build buildings for him to rest in because they're trying to contain his presence. And the expectation was that his presence was to be hosted to perfection. And so that's why there's this one story in the Old Testament where there's a guy, actually the, the ark of God, the presence of God is on a cart, and he trips and he touches the cart and he dies because the, the standard was absolute perfection. The hospitality had to be perfect. And that's why Peter freaks out on the Mount of Transfiguration. <laughs> because Jesus appears to him in all of his glory. And then he's like, okay, uh, we should build some tents. And we should kind of start working up here and doing all these things. Right? And, and it, because the standard was this perfect hosting of God's presence. God was a God of visitation. In the new covenant, which Abraham foreshadows, God, yes, God visits but God is a God of fellowship. He's a God of habitation. He actually moves in and makes his home within us. Romans chapter 8, there is no separation between us and the love of God. Okay, so it's a totally different mindset. Fellowship, what's fellowship? Fellowship is a relationship where two people influence each other. Do we review our relationship with God that way? Wow. We see all the symbolism of the cross in this story. We see, yes, Abraham, he has this heart to be a good host. But as much as he is hosting God, he is on a journey. He's trying to find the promised land. It doesn't say the Lord visited Abraham 
or the Lord showed up one day to find Abraham or the Lord was looking for Abraham like he was looking for Adam. No, it says the Lord appeared. That means the Lord was already there and he just opened Abraham's eyes. So on our journey, God is hosting us. He's stepping into our lives. He's healing. He's promising. He's appearing. He's speaking. He's confiding in Abraham. I mean, it's just mind-boggling, right? He, he responds to Abraham's needs and changes his plans. Wow. It is possible to live a life where you have fellowship with God. In the Old Testament, God is a God of visitation. In the New Testament, God is a God of a new covenant. God is a God of fellowship. And I think I have some even definitions here on this chart. I just want to call those out really quick. In the Old Covenant, God would visit us based on our human performance. But now, in the New Covenant, not the Old, God fellowships with us because of his finished work. Okay, I know we all kind of know this. And this is how Jesus lived, right? He said, I only do what I see the Father doing in John 5, 19. So he was actually out there looking for the Father's appearing. But here's actually a problem. I think it's a paradigm shift we need to have as believers because although we live in the new covenant, we still use old covenant language. I think sometimes we have a visitation mindset. You know, we come to church and we're like, man, I really hope the heaters are on today because it's raining. And if it's cold, it's going to be very hard for me to interact with God. Or we look up at this speaker system over here and all of its glory. And we're like, I mean, our team works super hard, but I mean, it's strapped to a pole, okay? And we're like, man, I really hope the sound is good today. I really hope it's that one worship leader that brings the presence of God because like, I, I really need that. I just hope God visits us. And, and, and we pray for our church and we pray for our city and we just say, oh God, will you rend the heavens and come down? God, will you open the heavens? And God is saying, I already rent the heavens and I came down at Pentecost. Revelation chapter four, a door is standing open in heaven. I'm saying, come up here. We're, we're saying, oh God, will you visit us? And he's saying, hey, just come on up and have a seat. You're seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. I want to host you. Are, are you tracking with me? Because I think in our visitation mindset, we're actually missing appearances of the Lord in our life. And the Lord's saying, yeah, yeah, there's special times. Of course I want to meet with you. But actually, I wonder, are those special times more to do because we were specially focused on him? I wonder if those are the times that God's opening our eyes and letting us see the needs around us, letting us see the beauty of what he's doing in this church. Because I believe that God's calling this church to go to a higher level of his presence. I believe that he's calling us to move from a visitation mindset, to just say, oh, we're going to have a special meeting, or oh, we're going to pray for revival to come one day, or God, won't you reach our city, or Lord, won't you show up in this place, we're trying to plant a church, and instead say, oh God, show us what you're doing. Open our eyes so I could see what you're doing in my workplace. Open our eyes so I could see what I'm doing, you're doing with our kids. I believe that God's one just to have a fellowship mindset because he's already there. I want to show you a, a cartoon that has profound theological significance. Here we go. Got two missionaries. They're preaching the gospel to this lady. She's been at home all day. She's in our slippers. Have you found Jesus? 
Now, where is Jesus? Where is Jesus? Are you seeing Jesus yet? He's already there. See, see, sometimes we think we're bringing God to people. We think we're bringing God to work. We think we're, we're bringing God to, to our school. We think we're, we're bringing the presence of God, and God's saying, hey, will you just pray and ask me to open your eyes because I want you to see where I am working and what I am doing. We want to be people with a fellowship mindset, a habitation mindset, and not just looking for a special visitations because this is a lifestyle, not an event. Can I get an amen? That's what God is calling us to. The Lord appeared to Abraham. Where does he want to appear to you? Let's all stand together.